if the expectation is that it's going to be hard, then I'm not knocked over every time. So one gift a parent can give to their child is go, wow, yeah, that does look hard. How do you think you can start it? You know, how do you start things that are hard? This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. She'll lift you up and empower you to help your child and your family thrive. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me on this next episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm thrilled to be talking to Sarah Chayette on this episode of the podcast, and we're going to talk about teens with ADHD and how to set them up for success and give them the opportunities for wins in their lives and then building self-esteem and self-confidence and setting them up for the future. Thanks for being here. Can you start by just introducing yourself, who you are and what you do for those who are listening? Absolutely. First of all, I want to say thanks for having me on the show, Penny. I'm uh, Dr. Sarah Chayette, and I'm a pediatric neurologist, so I deal with kids who have neurological issues, including ADHD. Um, I'm the author of two books on ADHD, one called Winning with ADHD, one called ADHD and the Focused Mind. So I, in short, help people win with ADHD. Which is exactly what we need. That's exactly what so many parents need help with is figuring out how to guide our kids who struggle sometimes in those areas to still feel successes and feel competent and confident. Do you want to start, I think, with just some basics? Um, What are kind of the building blocks of good self-esteem and confidence and, you know, feeling like you have something to contribute to the world? Well, that's exactly it, Penny. If you don't feel like you have something to contribute, you're not going to do very well. And in the context of ADHD, it's important that um, we keep in mind what makes kids focus and even try to do things. And one of those building blocks is confidence. As the saying goes, if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't. And um, yeah, and when people don't believe in themselves, they have a hard time focusing on doing anything, and then their outcome is poor, and then they say, see, I can't do that, and that makes them try less in the future, again, with poor outcomes, and all of a sudden, you're going down a negative feedback cycle that's hard to get out of you know, digging a hole past the tree roots and into the earth's core, basically. Yeah. We have, um, you know, the point of getting people to focus would be um, so that they've accomplished things and they feel good about themselves. And then they notice and everybody goes, wow, you are awesome. And the teen thinks about themselves as, yes, 
I am awesome. I think I'm going to try this. I think I'm going to try that. I'm good at this. This is great. So self-confidence is a super important part of getting on a positive feedback cycle. And that's really the point in what I do in terms of helping people try to get more focused. I love that you talk about it as a feedback cycle, because I think that's really key for parents to have that perspective that it's very easy to get caught up and even stuck in whatever that cycle is, whether it's positive or negative. Absolutely. And that is the number one question I get, which is to say, how do we get somebody from a cycle of failure to a cycle of success. There are diagrams in my book, ADHD and the Focus Mind, that talk about just this. If you're on a cycle of failure, it is possible to get on a cycle of success. Um, one of the things that helps is shooting low, so to speak. So having smaller accomplishments, but that are realistic. And if you can start accomplishing even just a little bit, then usually people start to feel better and better and better. It's like the little engine that could. You start low and you start going faster and faster and faster. Yeah, and really starting small. You know, I talk to parents a lot about just find something that you know your child can succeed at. And really um, customize or tailor that so that they absolutely can have some success because you can build from that. Um, absolutely. But you need that feeling to keep it going to absolutely. motivate, right? Yeah. And if you can picture, you know, your kid is at point A, whatever that is, hopefully it's nothing major, but it might be about to fail school or worse yet, not caring that they're going to fail school. You know, they're shooting yeah, for my kid right now. <laughs> oh, that's tough on parents. It's tough on the kid too. Yeah. Um, you know, but you can't just push the kid or pull the kid to point B very easily. And you certainly can't do it without going to point A to meet them. So, yes. you know, we have to find some way to connect with people even when we're angry at them, when we're disappointed in them, all these difficult types of emotions that parents have. And, you know, they, they, a lot of parents feel like, oh, you can lead the horse to water. Yeah. You, you, you know, sometimes you feel like dumping it over their head. Sometimes <laughs> sure. you feel like just slamming, slamming the bucket on their rump. But um, you have to find a way to make that connection at point A so that you can both travel to point B. And how do you do that? You have to find a way to have some empathy for your kid. Mm -hmm. Do you know that with kids with ADHD, they hear 30 negative things for every one positive thing that they hear? 30 to 1. So sad. It's sad. And, you know, if that happened to you, I'm like, don't you remember the bad things that people say about you? They really stick in people's heads. That's the way brains are built. So having some empathy and some compassion is good. Finding a way to respect the child so that 
you know, there are some things the kid is doing okay. It may just be to making and keeping friends or something that you can say, well, you know, I, I, I get that. Maybe it's their sport, their activity. Maybe it's not school, but you know what? Your relationship is not about school. You know, find a way to connect with your kid as much as possible. I really like those art places where, you know, you sit around and you do the pottery together and you actually might talk to each other and it's very relaxing. If all else fails, go out for ice cream. You don't have to talk to each other, but who could say no to that? Yeah, just that connection. I think that's so important in general for our kids and for adults, everyone kind of in the world right now. And it's so valuable, even like you said, if you're not talking, if you're just there together, you're showing your child that you care, that they're important to you, that they matter. And again, when they're hearing those 30 negative messages to one, that's a really strong message to absolutely kind of that. Especially given that you are supposed to, like the optimal ratio is three good things for one bad thing. Mm-hmm. And these kids not only flip the ratio, but they do that in 10 times that way. So it's one good thing for every 30 bad things. So that, you know, over time, this is coming from your closest support network usually too. It's your parents, it's your sibling, it's your um teachers. So they're hearing those things from the people who know them the best and who surround them. And there are negative consequences for that. Yeah, I think it becomes their inner dialogue. You know, they start to adopt that as their identity. And I see that especially in my own son as he became a teenager. At some point, he just said, okay, I'm not going to be understood by most people. I'm trying really hard, but nobody gives me any credit for that. They all ask me to keep trying harder, like I'm not trying. Uh And so, you know, he started a couple of years ago, he's 17 now, talking about how he's lazy. Yeah. And he didn't learn that at home. You know, we've never given, we've been very careful not to give that impression. And so they just get so many unintended messages and they really take them to heart. Absolutely. And so, you know, lazy is the number one thing that people call themselves with ADHD. Mm -hmm. Sometimes stupid, but mainly it's lazy. That seems to be the biggest word coming out of their mouth. And that goes back to a sense of under accomplishment. You know, I do point out when they're saying that they're lazy, that they're not lazy in many other ways. They are absolutely energetic when it comes to their hobby, their sport, their art, whatever it is, sometimes their music, their band, or being a good friend. You know, if your friend calls you, you don't go, eh, I don't want to deal with you. (laughs) You're Johnny on the spot for them. So there's many ways where people have to, you know, many avenues, I should say, to take off that self-identity of lazy you know, you can acknowledge that they are acting in a way that is unenergetic or perceived as lazy at times, but that's not who they are at their core. Right. 
That's so true. My son's therapist many years ago when he was little, probably seven years old, did an activity with him where they got the big piece of paper and he laid down and she traced him. And then they talked about and they labeled his outline with all of the great things about him, everything that he was interested in, good at, passionate about. And I'll never forget when I got called back in and I opened the door, the first thing he said to me was, look at all this great stuff about me. Like he didn't even absorb any of that without cognitively doing this activity of listing it because he kept getting all of these other negative messages. And, you know, some of that had to do with us too, because we were still learning about ADHD. And um, even for teens, we can do something like that with them. Absolutely. I mean, it gets to be a little tricky sometimes because you remember how I said that the optimal ratio is three to one? If you hear only good things about yourself, you stop believing the person who's saying them. You just mm. go, oh, that's so-and-so. And in our society, you got to be able to produce something. Like You actually have to be able to do something as a teen. When you're little and you don't do anything, you just kind of flit around, people think it's kind of cute and nobody's really that fussed about it. As an adult, you know, we have work to do. We have taxes to pay. There are have-dos that we have to do and um, we have to accomplish them. So nobody really gets points for what they mean to do as an adult. Either it's done or you didn't do it. And as a teenager and preteen, you've got that transition time where, you know, people are looking for more than expectations during that time. And so you can't just tell your kid that they're okay, that they're great. A, the kid won't believe you if there's nothing to back it up. And B, the kid's going to want to have some sort, I mean, he, he or she knows that there's got to be some actual something behind that. So it's important for the kid um, to have that outlet. Okay, I had a terrible week at school, but I passed my karate belt test or whatever. Yeah, that's so important to you is offering opportunities for success. What is your child good at? If they're really struggling with a lot of things, what is something that they can feel really good about and get them involved in that or nurture their curiosity in that area and help them, Yeah, you know, create the wins? Yeah, and that helps you give them an opportunity, you know, get an opportunity to cheer for them, to compliment them, and they will have some real meaningful accomplishment. Yes. And I think, as you said, once they get to the teen or preteen years, they're much more cognizant of what's genuinely a success or a win. Mm-hmm. And when, um, you know, we're kind of fluffing and trying to make them feel amazing. And and it can be really hard, though, to find that thing that they're good at, that thing that, um, you know, actually makes them feel competent and confident. Right. And that's the thing, you know, sometimes you're in such a situation where the teen truly becomes depressed, you know, and in part, that may be because of the unaccomplishment from the ADHD, um, but by the time depression starts in, um, that really makes 
everything worse. It makes the ADHD worse because people have a hard time concentrating when they're depressed. And it makes it harder to believe in yourself, which as we said, is one of the ways that we get from the cycle of failure to the cycle of success. And, you know, kids can really go downhill if they can't find something that is healing to them to do. Um, sometimes suggestions are best not from the parents. So yes. <laughs> yes. I think you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. there. But, you know, and it doesn't have to be a psychologist. It could be a friend, a clergy, somebody who you trust who could talk to your kid and, you know, think about what kinds of things might be interesting to them. Um, doing something with somebody that the kid likes or trusts, it doesn't so matter, it, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm constantly being asked what's the best activity for ADHD. And I would sort of say it kind of it depends on what your kid um, A, likes, and B, uh, you know, if there's a teacher involved, how the teacher is with your kid. The end product is the end product. It doesn't really matter. Um, but the process is is the important part. I think with any activity, it's really helpful if the kid can see that there's something hard that they have to do to achieve. I mean, a hard activity builds uh, stamina, and that is something that we absolutely need more of when we have ADHD. So, you know, my first book, The ADHD and the Focus Mind, was written with a karate teacher, my kid's karate teacher. Oh, wow. And um, the reason was because all the things he was yelling at my kids to do in karate, you know, if they could take that into the other parts of their lives, they would be so much more successful. So things like focus your eyes, listen to your coach, and it's supposed to be hard. You know, the kids are all going, school is hard. Oh, it's so tough. I get it. It is supposed to be hard. It's school. It's not supposed to be easy. And so a sport where you go, wow, okay, I'm just whatever the equivalent of a white belt is. I'm a beginner. I can see, you know, the, the really advanced rock climbers do this. I, I have to do X, Y, and Z. And eventually I will get up there. You know, anything, any activity like that is helpful. And that could be sports. It could be piano. It could be music or it could be art. Um, but an activity like that is, is super important. Yeah. And I think that they, they get that message because they perceive that it's really easy for everyone around them. So it must be that there's something wrong with them or the way they're doing it. Right. And today's culture with the instant this and the instant that, that is really kind of doing everybody a disservice. You know, there's all this instant gratification stuff out there. And um, even a lot of success stories you know, we package things to make it look shiny and easy. You know, even the ones who are, um, you know, very successful usually get there by a lot of hard work, and even time. though it may be hidden. Yeah, hard work and time. So luck favors the prepared, right? So yeah. you go 
to, you know, you have to realize it's going to be hard. I have to work. And by doing those, you know, by thinking about things that way, a lot of people are more likely to focus. They're like, okay, bring it on. I know I have to do this. Yeah. And that's really where we need to get. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the key is for our kids to be able to set through and work through discomfort or non-preferred tasks, but to keep going and not just avoid or resist. I see a lot of that. Um, and I think that's a lot of what the procrastination is. is, is it, we're trying to avoid as long as we can. We're right. trying to, try to avoid that thing that's so hard right? Um, because we don't think we can do it. Right. But if the expectation is that it's going to be hard, then I'm not knocked over every time. So one gift a parent can give to their child is go, wow, yeah, that does look hard. How do you think you can start it? You know, how do you start things that are hard? And this is a lesson that you could learn from the very beginning, you know, when, when your smaller child is saying, wow, wow, this is hard. It's like, yeah, I have to do hard things too. And when I do hard things, I start by breaking it into the smallest piece. You don't want to do your homework. But let's see, can you hip hop on one foot to the homework table or, you know, something where you're at least starting the process. Teenagers will not hip hop to the homework (laughs) table. But, you know, maybe you could say, all right, Maybe you could walk over to your computer and, and open the file or something like that or write the first sentence or put your name on the page. So if you can learn how to start, that helps with procrastination. But really deciding that you're going to do it also helps with procrastination. Yeah. If you're ambivalent about something, if part of you is like, yeah, I really want to get this homework done, but oh my gosh, I really want to be on Instagram too. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, you're pulled in different directions. And if anybody's pulled in different directions, it's hard to move, right? Mm-hmm. Got one thing pulling you one way, the other thing pulling you the other way. So the more you can sort of strengthen the one that you actually, you're like, yeah, I want to get that A or I want to get that C or whatever, wherever you are. But if you can think about it and realize ambivalence, sometimes you might decide, you know what, I'm actually going to goof off for a little while. But the more you can put a decision into it, the more you will be able to put the full force of your focus behind it. You know, I think it's best if kids work in short little bursts, they're on or they're off. It's that in-between that's the killer because mm-hmm. they're sort of working and they're sort of not working and it takes so long and it makes the process so painful. Yes. So better to do short little bursts using a timer is helpful and say, okay, you're on, you're off and off is off. On is on, but off is off. I like that. Because that that works in the breaks that they often need, but it also gives them something to look forward to. Right. (laughs) To look forward to the time that they don't have to be on for a few minutes. It's like, you better break, you know, and that's, you know, if you watch people play tennis, they're hitting the ball for a set or whatever it is, a game. And then there's a time where they're sitting on the sideline and they're recovering. And then they go play another game. 
if they don't know how to recover well, they are going to lose energy and they're not going to win the last games of the match. So the recovery time is got to be good recovery and then you're on again. Electronics can be okay for some people for recovery if they can put them down. Right. But, you know, electronics um, often suck you in to make it harder to put it down. They're designed that way. Yeah. You know, teams of neuroscientists designed to capture your brain. Mm-hmm. I mean, they truly do. They truly sit and, and work that out on how long they can keep you going in something. Absolutely. It is no coincidence that on YouTube, the other 20 fascinating videos that tie into <laughs> what you just watched, they're right there. You've got to watch them. They are ready for you. Yeah. I love that you use the word recovery. I don't think parents think about this. I don't think we think about the fact that for kids with ADHD, they're typically trying much harder than their peers to accomplish different expectations, and they need time to recover from that. It truly is recovering. It's stressful. It's overwhelming. It can be defeating if they're not succeeding um, in the ways that they see others succeeding. And so that you know, using that language, that particular word recovery, I think is so important for parents. Absolutely. And again, you know, from a sports perspective, a lot of kids with ADHD um, actually have strengths in sports for a variety of reasons. And using a sports metaphor is very helpful for a lot of them. You know, when you play soccer, they have the break in the middle because otherwise you'd be exhausted. If you were going running, you know, the marathoner looks kind of like crap at the end of the marathon, <laughs> right? But the one who did the 100-yard dash is like, yeah, victory. And so you want to run, you know, you still have work to do, but you want to basically run your marathon in a series of very quick dashes. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a parent like me, who's very type A, I always just want to get things done with. I want to sit down one time and I want to power through it because that's my personality and that's the way my brain works. And over the years, I've had to really remind myself and I still get caught in this trap with my son and helping him with schoolwork that, you know, there's only two problems left. Let's just get done. And he's saying, I can't do any more. He'll literally say, I can't do any more right now. And it's about being mindful, you know, stepping back as a parent and acknowledging that they are telling us what they need. They're self-advocating and we need to honor that. And right. it can be hard, you know. It is really hard. And uh, Penny, I'm just like you. I'm like, blah, 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 get it done. And my poor yes. kids are like, what? <laughs> what did you do? We even didn't even hear you start. And it's tough because it's sort of like, why can't you just do it? And the kids are like, I can't do it that way. And it's really important. And it's something I didn't think enough about, I don't think, early on. But um, seeing things from the kids' perspective, mm -hmm. like you as an adult have this automatic, yes, that's important. But the kids are like, I don't know if it's that important to me. And they have a harder time completing it. 
and then you know they don't you know from from a kid's perspective i don't want to do my homework because i have other things that i want to do and the adults are like oh my god you're not getting into harvard and yeah. you know <laughs> your life is going to yeah. be ruined and the kids like it's greek stuff and i don't really care about it so you know kind of coming back to where your kid is is really important and trying to see things from their perspective that doesn't mean you don't try to teach them or encourage them because they do have to learn how to do things even when they don't want to or when they don't find something is interesting but um you know, kind of taking a minute to pause and giving them a reason to personally care about it. You know, sort of like, okay, I understand you are doing trigonometry and you don't really care about that. And, and, and I understand that. No, I don't think you're going to have a job where you're going to do cosines and logarithms and all that. However, in whatever job you have, you're going to have to learn how to do problems that are hard for you. So maybe this is just an exercise in problems that are hard for you. You would get a benefit from that. Yes. It's exactly what we're going through, trigonometry and everything. Oh, I got I ever trigonometry, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, you totally just narrated the last two months of my life. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, those conversations are hard. And for, you know, there's a lot of kids with ADHD who are literal concrete thinkers. They want reasons for things. That's where we've really tripped up with this math is, you know, why do I subtract 3x from both sides? Uh-huh because that's the way you do it, right? Right. (laughs) There's no explanation that satisfies for some of these things. And it becomes somewhat of a battle because we see the importance when our kids sometimes don't. Right. Um, And then you just have to meet them where they are. You you do have to meet them where where they are in order to move them forward in any way. You have to start where they are. And the thing about school is like, yes, I totally get that. I understand that they teach you a lot of junky stuff and (laughs) I can't remember most of what I learned in school, but I remembered how to get things done. And that is something that I am now really good at. And it's made a big difference for me in my life. And, you know, this is truth. I mean, (laughs) like some kids seem to believe me because I really, really honestly believe that. But you know, in terms of a more immediate type of reward, um, you know, you sort of go, well, I get that this isn't interesting to you, but life is not entertainment. You know, how are you going right. to make it interesting? You know, you, you have to make things interesting for yourself. Sometimes, you know, the teaching of this stuff could be better. Sometimes the teaching is god-awful. I know my own kids at times have asked, like, you know, the with the math, and my son asked the teacher, why do you do it this way? It's so much easier to do it that way. Why are you making me do it this way? And, you know, the literal answer was because that's how, how they told me to teach it to you. Right. Like, really? That's as good as you got, teacher? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think if you can give the kid more of a reason to believe in the thing, the kid will be more likely to do that. And if you can make it more personal or meaningful for them, you know, that's important. You could say to your kid, you know how your basketball coach makes you do those running drills that you hate? 
you do them, don't you? And you always want to try to be first to finish them. But it's the same thing. These math drills are good for X, Y, or Z, whatever you can come up with, which sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes <laughs> you might just go, you know what? Okay, don't do it. The world will not fall apart. It's just school. It's just homework. And, you know, if those last two problems don't get done, so be it. Take the B. You may decide that. Right. You know, in any situation, there's, there's choices you have. One is to play to win, right? Give it everything you got. You're going for the A. You're going for valedictorian. You're going for whatever. And you're putting everything behind that. But there are other times when that is not a good choice. Sometimes you're just there to play for fun. You know, I'm just yeah. here to horse around and that's okay. And some, some days you're just putting in the level of effort needed to just play not to lose. Like I just want to pass. I just want to get this. I just want to survive it. I just want to survive it. And again, it's important for the kid to decide, oh, and the final choice, I should say, you could choose not to play and say, I, I don't want to do that. And I hope that our kids are not choosing that about school. Um, we want them to play to win as much as possible in some situations, but kids cannot play to win all the time. Not only kids, adults get exhausted yeah, that way yeah. too. So there are times where you want to play to win, times where you play not to lose, times where you just play for fun, and there's times when you choose not to play. And you need to give your child some cues to think about what situation are they in? What do they want? Yeah, and you know, sometimes that's so tough because they're not necessarily going to make an appropriate choice. Um and so no. it's hard for us as parents to watch them potentially make a catastrophic choice. But what I'm finding now is that they tend to come back around. They tend to learn from that and right. start to make better choices for themselves, start to right. take ownership. So it's it's hard, but it's yeah. not giving up. And And you use the word catastrophic and... I think that's an important word. Like you would do things differently if there was truly like a danger to life and limb. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's less choice that you give anyone. That's when they get, you know, the involuntary hold, the whatever, the, you know, I mean, when there really is catastrophic consequences, then you, you know, you have a tighter leash. However, Failing a class is not a catastrophic thing. Yep. And um, much better that they come out of an experience stronger for it than feel like you're making them do everything. You know, I, I, I had a kid in my office today who this was the discussion we're having. He's like, I don't want to go to college. He's a sophomore. I've decided school is not for me okay you can decide that um and then he's complaining that you know his parents home only has one shower in it <laughs> it's like okay well let's kind of roll with this plan of not going to college and see you know, dots. yeah it's like 
you know, it sounds like you like houses where there's some degree of luxury. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you choose it, dude, but you own it. And you, you, you know, this is the direction you're going in. It's somewhat catastrophic because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, they're going to waste a lot of time, but they may need that time. And it's very artificial. If you're making them, making them, making them, making them, then there's a lot of resentment. And it's really hard for a lot of kids to sustain that as they leave for college. Yeah. Then it gets expensive too. I mean, <laughs> gee willikers, you're often betting, you know, a semester's tuition that your kid will go to college and not spend the whole time doing Fortnite. Right. Right. It's a genuine concern. You know, I think I I have a daughter in college now as well. And she is for the most part neurotypical. She has some anxiety, but um is really determined, was really determined to go away to school because that was the program that she wanted. And we felt like she was pretty prepared. She felt like she was pretty prepared. And we all kind of went, Oh. I think this might be hard for most kids, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, this might be really tough. It's supposed to be tough and right. it is, it's a right? Huge transition. It's a huge transition. And just so, you know, all the listeners know, because a lot of people may be used to tracking their kids with Canvas or School Loop or Power Loop or whatever. You see everything. You see basically whether the kid was asleep or, or awake in class and whether they raised their hands. Every homework assignment, you can track it. You know what? In college, your kid can flunk everything and the college wouldn't be the ones to tell you. And so it's against the law for them to have these discussions with parents. And so you know nothing in college. So it's really important that you get to a point where you can trust your kid so that the kid, A, knows how to ask for help when things are not going well and doesn't just try to hide and like, oh my gosh, I hope it'll, I hope it'll be better. Or they wait till the day before finals to get a tutor, you know, all these situations that can happen. Yep. So um, as you're getting your child off to college, you know, think about that in high school. Where is your child in terms of how what kind of cues and support do you have to give? And are they ready? Yeah. Are they ready? And it's okay to not be ready right after high school. I think that's where so many parents get tripped up. Yeah. Is you leave high school, you go to college, that's how you succeed. But for so many people, it doesn't have to be that particular path or in that order or in that timing and they can still succeed or they can shift direction. You know, there's so many options when we stray a little bit from the path to either find a better path or figure out that we need to get back to the path that we were on. And so many hard things, you know, there's hard things for our kids. There's hard things for us as parents, but the, the truth of the matter is that we can do hard things. We can do much more than we give ourselves credit for. And I think our kids can too, especially when we show them that we believe that they can do it. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I think in previous decades, uh, parents gave their kids more responsibility 
earlier in kids' lives. So, you know, kids used to walk to school by themselves, you know, uh, you know, have more chores um, and more jobs than a, a lot of kids these days do. And I'm not saying those were the good old days, but um, it does create a sense of responsibility and perseverance in a child to have the responsibility. We still have the same rule, though, with like high school's over at 18, you're out of here. Yep. And uh, even though our culture is different and we're, you know, sort of helping our kids more um, than, and arranging things for our kids more, we still have that same cutoff, which doesn't make too much sense when you think about it. Yeah. Um, I think the community college option is a terrific opportunity for a lot of kids um, because it gives them time to, you know, figure out how to do college with more support than they would if they were going away to college. And also, by the time they do go to go away to college and it gets more expensive, um, then, you know, they'll get more out of their time at college. College is not going to be for everyone, and that's true whether you're in community college or four-year college or graduate school. I mean, you know, there's no rules that you have to do these things. Um, we do know that, you know, it is easier to get that extra shower in your house if um, you have uh, a degree of professional training or, or higher education, um, but there are other paths to success in other directions. There's mechanics. There's all sorts of things that can be done without a college degree. Yes. And some of those things will make them a lot more money than mm -hmm. some of the college degrees. Absolutely. There's a huge need in the vocations now. And I think that's fantastic for a lot of people who have found that a four-year traditional college experience may not be the right path for them. Right. You know, it, it's not for my own son. And we had to, you know, over the years as he got closer and closer to being a teenager and thinking about what comes after, really be honest with ourselves and really have him discuss how he feels about different options, what he feels like he wants to do. Because if he doesn't want to go to college, $100,000 plus on college is going to go down the drain. Uh -huh. He's not going to succeed if he doesn't have any desire um, to be there and to succeed. And it truly is not the only path to success. No, no. I mean, that that is absolutely true. So I think encouraging your child box is is good because if being in the box makes him totally miserable it's certainly not going to be sustainable however yeah. you know you have to be realistic as well and so um you know doing nothing is not an option but finding something that you can do and that you know doesn't make you throw up is, right is gonna be a good choice so um sometimes parents have to adjust their expectations um, so that you're focusing on the well-being of your child and the overall long-term path to success, certainly focusing on which college, uh, you know, makes no sense, really. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and defining what success looks like for your child uh-huh. or, you know, any other child, it's, it's not just this one vision that we have as a culture, right? There are so many other ways to have a fulfilling and happy life. It doesn't require college and, you know, great ACT scores and all yeah. of Yeah. And one great way to include increase um, the chance of success is by defining success as something under your control. So the outcome is not the measurement of success. I mean, of course it is in some respects, but, you know, you can always have a hard test or an unfair teacher, you know, but did you do the best you could? Did you put it all out there? Did you study you know, using those great study techniques that you learned? Did you put in the time? Did you put in the effort? If you define success, uh, you know, to paraphrase John Wooden, is the satisfaction of doing the best job you could do, um, then you're going to be a happier person and you're going to be less vulnerable to whatever outcomes push you high or low. You'll have a center. You know, you sort of say, I did what I could. That's great. You know, to use the karate metaphor, the boards will break or they won't break. But if you did the best kick you could do, that's all you can do right there. You know, if you put it out there, if you did all the things that you were supposed to do, fantastic. Yeah. And it's important to celebrate, too. So like we said at the beginning of our talk today, it's, you know, easy to get down on yourself. And the way a brain is wired is brains are, they have what's called a negativity bias, meaning that you do remember all the bad things more than the good things. And so it's really important to pick out, you know, very consciously the good things. So one technique that we talk about is saying three good things. So, you know, how was your day? And, you know, you'd ask your kids that and they go like, my rule. (laughs) And then you go, you know, right, fine, whatever. Uh, Or they go into a tirade about so-and-so said this and you did that and this one was mean and that teacher yelled at you. Okay, I get bad things happened. Can you name three good things that happened? Again, there's that three to one ratio that keeps popping up. Every time you say a bad thing, you've got to think about three good things to pull your brain over the negativity bias and to help it really start seeing some positives. Over time, that becomes more automatic. But, you know, and, and in the beginning, your kid and you know, it's great if you do this with your kid. Sometimes it's hard to remember the good things. You're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> nobody kicked me today. That's a good thing. Right, right. And then later on it becomes easier. But if you don't celebrate something, everything is work, work, work. And then you don't want to keep doing it, right? So, yeah. you know, again, using a sports metaphor, if a basketball game was make a basket, run to the other side, they make the other basket, defend, run to the other side. Nobody would care. It's the high fives that you get from your teammates at the side. It's the victory. It's the thrill of winning something that was hard. Again, you know, if you do easy, only easy things, it's not so fun. Everybody has more fun when they win the game against the really hard team, right? Right. So, 
it's more fulfilling. So, you know, look for that high five. You have, you might have to create it for yourself. You might have to remind your child to create it for themselves. But if you don't get the high five, it's just uh, work, 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 blah, 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 blah. And who wants to do that? Yeah. So many good insights and strategies that you've shared and um, a little bit of hope too, I think for parents, you know, I feel like whenever we give parents permission to change their expectations, change um, their definition of success, you know, it's really empowering for parents and then for their kids as well. Yes, um, absolutely. Parents often feel like their children are a reflection of themselves Mm -hmm. and that, you know, parents can get embarrassed and parents uh, feel like they are the failure when their child isn't doing well. And, you know, trying to move past that kind of thinking to acknowledging that your child is a sentient being and has been, right? They've had those personalities from when they were young. They are not the blank slate. They are their own people and, and learning how to work with that, accept your child for who they are. And yes, you, you're allowed to parent and push to some degree, but uh, being realistic about who your child is and respecting who your child is and appreciating your child for who they are is a key part of not just parenting ADHD kids, but also parenting any kids. Yes. I totally agree. I think that a lot of what we talk about in parenting kids with ADHD or autism is really a best practice for parenting in general. It would be a nice shift for all families, I think. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Shayette, for giving some of your time and sharing a lot of your wisdom with us. Um, for everyone who's listening, you can get a link to Dr. Shayette's website, her books, ADHD and the Focused Mind and Winning with ADHD, as well as links to any resources that we've talked about here in this episode on the show notes. You can go to parentingadhdandautism.com slash 075 for episode 75. And with that, I thank you again. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Penny. Take good care and I will see everyone on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. If you connected with this episode, please share it on social media. Be sure to visit parentingadhdandautism.com to join the conversation and take advantage of Penny's online courses and summits, retreats, parent coaching, and fantastic bonus content.